So they became friends. They ate lunch together. It was a new relationship, even though it wasn't supposed to be a makeout relationship. They talked about stuff. He explained stuff to her. He loves to explain stuff. And she was like, oh my god, here is a person who knows the real smart truth about transitioning. Gender truly is a construct. But eventually you can't help but figure out that while gender is a construct, so is a traffic light. And if you ignore either of them, you get hit by cars, which also are constructs. They fucked at a Burritoville bathroom. Those are the words of Imogen Binney in Nevada, and this is The Red Pen. It's really hard to transition into an actual episode from us talking about my mouth sounds. <laughs> um, and that's what I've just learned. But welcome back to The Red Pen, uh, where we cut up fiction to see what it's made of. I'm your host, Austin Chant. And I'm Amanda Jean, the other host person. Wow. I don't know what happened halfway through that. Compelling. <laughs> you really, uh, really sold yourself there. Uh, welcome back, everyone. This week on The Red Pen. I always say this week, and then we come out bi-weekly. Yeah. Sorry, this everyone. Episode. You're, you nailed it. Uh, on this episode of The Red Pen, we're going to talk about some trans stuff. And um, I hope you all are ready and prepared for that. I'm strapped in, personally. You're strapped in. Well, you, you have no choice um, <laughs> but to be strapped in. But before we dive into that... Do, this feels rushed. I feel like I've just leapt into this episode, grabbed our listeners by the throat... <laughs> said hello i'm here i'm here to tell you about some stuff maybe because i'm actually very enthusiastic about the the two primary pieces of media we're going to be discussing today uh what do we normally do at the top of the episode surely not we this. talk about other stuff we don't just jump in i mean sometimes we do okay. shit well uh i'm happy to announce that um this episode will be a little bit more on the cheerful side than <laughs> last episode which i'm very happy we did but was definitely uh it was hard in our usual vein of media positivity shall we say we're going to be talking about some pieces of media that we've come back to and loved actually but uh yeah before we dive into that what you been reading lately that's a mean question because i know you just told me you haven't read anything (laughs) i feel to quote robin williams in the birdcage i feel like i'm riding a psychotic horse towards a burning stable right now okay we have like no (laughs) intro material you have notes i just can't see them i have notes they're just invisible to you (laughs) it's sort of a fun prank that i'm playing on you i'm just gonna stand here holding all of the knowledge and all the power (laughs) uh and all of the recent media media consumption i also have not read a whole lot lately to be fair to you so if you haven't been reading what have you been putting in front of your eyeballs well i haven't really been putting anything in front of my eyeballs except for killing eve which we watched together the first two episodes Uh, Yes, as I've started that, I don't feel like I'm far enough in to give uh, a, a deep amount of commentary on it, except that it's gay and I love it. I have been listening to a lot of podcasts, uh, not unusually, but I've, I've been getting into recap podcasts a lot, so I feel like I've been experiencing media. <laughs> I know exactly what you're uh, talking through... about here, son. <laughs> well, you don't, because I added a new one oh, today. No. <laughs> I've been listening to um, Rose Buddies by Griffin and, and Rachel McElroy which is is a dead show or like a a a former 
show. Yeah, it got swallowed uh, up into their new property. Yeah, they they stopped recap. They, it was a, a recap of The Bachelor and other reality dating shows. The Bachelorette, uh, and Bachelor in Paradise. Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and those are shows I've never watched, but I deeply enjoyed listening to like two very nice people uh, recap The Bachelor, Bachelorette, etc. <laughs> because that's like the exact lens that I want to consume like garbage TV through. Right? Yeah, it gave me it gave me new appreciation for The Bachelor and it's just it feels very wholesome, which is not something I usually associate with Bachelor Bachelorette content. And that that show is now uh, called Wonderful and is a general like enthusiast podcast and is also really nice. Uh, but I just started listening to uh, To Ellen Back, which uh, debuted a couple days ago. I think it debuted this week, maybe last week. Uh, and it is Auto Straddle's new podcast, uh, recapping the L oh, word. Oh fuck me! In ah uh, yes, I don't know if I can go and back there I'm, even in, even in a recap lens. I'm honestly like I did not expect this, but it is making me appreciate the L word more than I have maybe ever. <laughs> <laughs> Like many a young queer, uh, I, I watched The L Word back in the day, but even at the time, I, I had issues with it and, and wound up dropping out, I think, around the third season. Yeah. So I never I never finished it. This this recap is, it's it's by um, Reese Bernard and Kristen Russo. And I'm not as familiar with Reese's work, but Kristen Russo uh, has done Everyone is Gay for a long time, as well as a podcast called Buffering the Vampire Slayer, which is a Buffy uh, recap podcast. And Kristen Russo is like the coolest. I got to meet her briefly at PodCon and she was also super nice. They both have like amazing podcast voices and a lot of cool stuff to say about like what the show meant to them at like an identity critical time. And it's just been really nice to to kind of go back to something that I never was fully comfortable mm-hmm. with, I think, as a show and and see it in a new light. I recommend it. And, it you know, it's it's nice to also be recapping it from a 2019 perspective of like, yeah, this was fucked up and biphobic and like, this was not ideal, that was not ideal, but also talking about what was important about the show. Yeah, because it did mean a lot to a lot of people. And it was one of the first like, yeah, sort of explicit WLW shows that aired on cable or ever anywhere. It was good. It was just uh, rife with problems and shitty human beings. (laughs) (laughs) But enjoyable. But also Shane is still so important to me. (laughs) Fucking legendary. (laughs) There's a bit in the first episode of To Ellen Back where one of them asked like, does Shane really maintain this level of Shane for the entire show? It's like, yes. (laughs) That is... 100% 100% my feeling on that character. Anyway, so yeah, that's that's been what I've been up to. I've been sort of enjoying diving back into older familiar media and some unfamiliar media in the case of The Bachelor. Uh, so this feels like a very appropriate week to be recording this episode, which is about The Matrix and also about Nevada by Imogen Binney. I imagine a statistically high number of our listeners will grasp the link between those two things, but if not, it's because they're both iconic works by trans women. Yeah. The Matrix um, has, I think, pretty widely at this point been examined as a trans metaphor, trans coming out metaphor, particularly post the coming out of both Wachowski sisters and but apparently even long before that, I this I did not 
hear about. I, I think I only heard about this new newfangled reading of The Matrix, but apparently trans folks have been reading that into it since 1999, so I'm just late to the, to the You were a literal small child. How could you have known? <laughs> yeah, and I think, too, because, and I think we'll talk about this a little bit, because the Matrix has been so memefied and also so twisted by, like, red pillars yeah. um, and Reddit bros. While I always really enjoyed The Matrix and it meant a lot to me as a movie, and I had gone back to it and been like, oh, I still appreciate that like, this film holds up. It didn't occur to me that it could be that, like, really literally, you know, a trans movie. It didn't feel like it was for me, even though it was for me, and I've always really enjoyed it. So it was like a secret. You, it had a secret the whole time, and you finally figured it, it had out. A secret just for me. Yeah. So we're gonna talk about the Matrix and about Nevada by Imogen Biddy, which, if you're not familiar with it, is a really, really wonderful book. It is about a trans woman in New York going through a crisis, a uh, a life crisis. It's one of the most kind of iconic trans books I think ever written because it's so it feels so real and so entrenched in the realities of um being a trans person who is still figuring shit out and and still growing as a person but has also been out for a long time so it's not a coming out narrative but it's also not a an incidental trans narrative all it is a book about very much about being trans and the the trials and tribulations thereof uh, but from the perspective of somebody who is has been living it for a long time. You've talked about Nevada a bunch of times, and it's been on my, my to-read list for an, an equally long amount of time, because every time you talk about it, you get so fucking hyped, and it sounds really good. And it's really funny, which is something I enjoy a lot. Uh, I'm, I'm always on the lookout for trans narratives that allow trans people to be funny. Um, it's a very stream of consciousness, it's kind of wacky wacky hijinks mm. book um despite being about pretty serious yeah, stuff there's a lot of content warnings for that book a lot of content warnings for that book uh, which i may as well you know list up Enumerate here at the top. Them here um, so no one runs out and is like oh this light-hearted romp yes it is not it's not really a light-hearted romp even though it keeps a pretty light-hearted uh framing on on a lot of the stuff in it it's uh Content warnings for heavy drug use and suicidal ideation and I, I would say like stuff that, while not overt self-harm, like stuff that verges into a self-harm warning place and, and characters just experiencing like extreme self-destructiveness, people deal, dealing with like extreme dysphoria, that kind of thing. Some of the, I think, you know, we obviously put content warnings on this for everything, but like the, some of the stuff that I'll talk about with The Matrix also discusses, like, suicidal ideation and um, murder of trans folks because, spoilers, <laughs> if you start to look at The Matrix as a uh, metaphor for trans folks coming out in a very hostile world, the fact that a bunch of them are killed in that movie becomes more upsetting than it already is in the context yeah, of the film. Yeah, it gets doubly painful and imbued. I got actually really upset reading some of the behind the scenes stuff about the matrix. Um, so I, I kind of just wanted to toss that in there because woof, <laughs> some of it is a, a level on which I had not really considered it. One of the things that I find interesting about these two pieces of media, I should probably go into what they are first. So the matrix came out in 1999 and um, Nevada came out in 2013. And one of the things that kind of fascinates me is that they feel 
very much like they're part of a similar narrative. These these stories feel deeply related to me, and I think that's not only because they're not only because they're they're both like very cool works by trans women, but because they share a perspective beyond just being about trans folks. Nevada is explicitly about a punk. Maria is a is a cool <laughs> punk who interrogates her own like how punk rock is she pretty constantly throughout the book. And as Amanda and I discovered when rewatching <laughs> The Matrix for this episode, everyone in <laughs> everyone in The Matrix is really uh I'm not even gonna say punk. I would say just like overtly members of the BDSM <laughs> subculture. Like I've never really noticed this before, but when we were watching like the the club scene at the beginning where Neo and Trinity meet for the first time they're just in a BDSM club, right? Yeah, and Neo is taken. I'm pretty to sure said like they're trying trying to pretend it's a generic club. It ain't, um, and I think it's really not because literally everyone there is like dressed in into their latex black leather and their harness. Yeah, it's weird because the people who come to take Neo to the club, which he doesn't seem to have any real desire to do, he goes along for reasons. They look like extras from a shitty like like a band that's doing a concept album where they're vampires they look like extras from that like from <laughs> yes. queen of the damned-esque shit and i was just thinking to myself like i didn't remember this because i remembered the the outfits in the matrix once neo and trinity and morpheus are all doing their badass stunts those are iconic we've got like the floor length leather the latex the shades the pops of color and like the green ties and and like everybody's got a very styled appearance but i hadn't remembered that even in the simulation itself even in the quote-unquote real world uh, neo just hangs out with these presumably like kink punks i don't know what they are. this is the thing is like they're not so objectively kinky and they're not objectively punkish like it's a very 1999 generic idea of what a scene would be and i don't know which end of that it kind of falls on that was when i was i was pretty young then but in the years uh after that movie and the matrix was when i started knowing people who were into scenes and went to kinky clubs and i was like none of these people dress exactly like this this is weird i don't know what it is is this a lip service coat i can't tell like it was it was so strange because it's not quite, yeah. it's not. It's not yeah. quite. It's not like 100% there, but I have only ever seen that many people wearing <laughs> leather and harnesses true. in a BDSM club. That's very club. true. And it is like an entire club of people. Just I, I want to go back and there. analyze that scene. They're not even like and just doing like, any, I think there's like a couple people dancing, but mostly people are lounging on various walls. Which is also how things are in BDSM clubs. <laughs> no one's like tearing it up or raving or anything. There's just people drinking. <laughs> no, they're just enjoying their their leather <laughs> in the background. And and I love that because the Matrix isn't necessarily on the surface of it something you would read as like this is about kinky trans people. <laughs> but on the other hand, like their names are like Neo and Trinity <laughs> and Morpheus. And they wear like kind of androgynous black leather outfits all the time. And that is true to a lot of (laughs) trans people I know. I'm just saying there's a Venn diagram and there's a lot of crossover. But yeah, like the first time I rewatched The Matrix post um, reading some, some trans analyses of it, I was like, oh my God, every character 
in this film is an amazing trans person. <laughs> it's true. Morpheus is such a cool trans elder. Like Trinity is such an amazing like I I love reading scenes between Trinity and Neo as like Trinity is this sort of person who has has been through transition for a longer time and is like cool and sort of like a a role model figure not role model exactly but like she is showing neo what is possible that made me like i've never really been that interested in neo and trinity's relationship before i was i was reading it through this lens i was so much more invested in the love that they share based on that them meeting and trinity giving neo this tremendous gift of love and belief in him the scene at the end where like he dies essentially and she resurrects him through love basically really like i've I've never given a shit about that scene in my life but the first time i watched it through this lens i was like (gasps) oh no i'm not actually a big like i enjoy watch i enjoyed rewatching the matrix with you it was fun i don't think it's that good (laughs) but 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 the one thing that saves it from being in my mind pretty close to unwatchable is the fact that if you read it with this like very now in hindsight blazingly obvious trans lens it makes it 10 million times better it imbues all of the characters with so much more personality because i really don't give a shit about like you were ordained to love the one they kind of hang out and do stuff and then yeah yeah i will say like suddenly i've always enjoyed this movie but i always kind of enjoyed it in spite of being like oh okay and then the girl loves the boy Mm -hmm. and her love saves him okay i think that stuff is way more interesting and way more compelling through the lens of these are trans folks who have like trans folks who are survivors together yes um and taking care of each other it just makes for a really a really interesting read I'm going to quote from a bunch of different trans folks who have written about this stuff. Um, I, I will say, I don't think that the Wachowskis themselves have ever come forward and said like, yes, it's a trans movie. Uh... As far as I know, like I, when I was looking into it, there was nothing that definitive. They did say stuff like art isn't static and it, it means different things and blah, blah, blah. Like, but they've never really like explicitly been like, yes, Neo is a trans metaphor specifically i do think that viewed through that like it it is Hmm. (laughs) it is a trans movie (laughs) some aspects of it do seem to draw from from their own experiences like a lot of aspects of it but but some very specific ones and and yeah it just it feels like a very deeply trans offering (laughs) let me say so yeah so i wanted to dive into um some of the connections I, I see between these works because i think on the surface of it they're not that similar one is a very literary stream of consciousness kind of slice of life novel and one is an action movie from 1999 <laughs> excuse you but, it's a cyberpunk movie okay i mean it is an action a cyberpunk movie. action yeah. movie i feel I like calling say, it, it just not- <laughs> an action movie is not nailing the genre at all that's very true um because it 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 and I think this is also something that ties it to Nevada and to trans stuff in general. Like it deals heavily with the internet and <laughs> with the the way that society is changing. The 1999 internet, yeah, it does. Yes, <laughs> it's also a delightful look back into computers. <laughs> oh, it just—it's. I remember I didn't see the Matrix in the theater when it came out, but I was part of like I was I was witness to the cultural zeitgeist and um uh 
I remember seeing clips of it and I remember eventually seeing it maybe a year after it came out and it just nothing in it rang as cheesy (laughs) because that was legitimately what we were working with except for I will say the loading up of the programs like give him you know kung fu and then we just like smash in this (laughs) tape no it was it a cd was it a cd-rom it's a it's a floppy floppy disk yeah with like the 2mb that floppy can hold listen God, can you imagine, though? Still such a power fantasy. Yeah, I, I I really shouldn't be shitting on the actual idea of it because that that sort of, like, you can pre-program skills, languages. I want it so Yeah, bad. that's really cool. It's just that it's funny when it's a fucking floppy disk and you can see, like, the transfer yeah. installation counter going up. <laughs> Give him the floppy. <laughs> Insert the flop. <laughs> I didn't see it in theaters because I was six years yeah, you're old a when itty-bitty. it came out. But although I did see uh, the the first sequel uh, in theaters, so did I. Um, with my dad, Aww. unfortunately, and that is the one with the, like a thirty minute sex <laughs> scene in the middle. Um, my dad fell asleep in the theater and was asleep for that scene. And my whole memory of it is just like vague blurry shapes on screen and me staring at my dad like, please don't wake up. Please don't wake up. Please wake up. I know I'm 10 years old and this is inappropriate and I know I, I'm fine, but please, please don't wake up in the middle asleep. of this. You know what? Please don't wake up. I don't want to have a conversation about you this. You know what that reminds me of? I went to see Titanic three times in theaters and I dragged various relatives with me each time. My mom took me the first time. The second or third time, my grandpa from out of state, my dad's dad, who I didn't see that often, took me out. Like, he used to take me out on on the town and, like, buy me stuff. And I was spoiled when he came into town. And I was like, can we also go see Titanic, the thing I am obsessed with? And he was like, sure. And then I remembered about mm, 40 minutes in that there was going to be some nudity, <laughs> some protracted nudity. <laughs> and I was like, uh, 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 uh. but I don't know if it was... He was bored, or he could feel it in the air. (laughs) But he left like 10 minutes prior and came back right like after the actual sex scene. Oh my God. And I was praising the Lord in my chair. (laughs) That is so lucky. I was was waiting for like the steamy handprint and you being there with your granddad. Who I barely knew. I'm sorry, I just, the visceral image of you trying, because I remember, I saw that movie in theaters with my mom and my cousin, and I remember the sex scene, and I just, my we were talking about this earlier, my resonant images from the Matrix sequels, which are bad, uh, are the sex scene, the weird, like, rave going on in that city, uh, that actress, the, the Italian actress I really like. <laughs> The albino twins, the thing with Trinity and getting shot. That's it. I don't remember. Fuck all else. Uh, Yeah, some of the the articles that I'll link in the the show description are, did they go into stuff in the sequels? I'm not going to because not even for the cool trans revelations, haha, (laughs) will I acknowledge that the sequels exist because they are bad. They are bad and the Matrix stands so well on its own. It does. It's definitely like it's not a very conclusive ending. No, I but, like that though. But it's powerful, and it, I I think it's a it's a good ambiguous ending. Yeah, we talked about that too. We talked about how the there's like a thin shade of hope, but when you think about the actuality of the situation that these people are in, it's fucked. They're fucked. Yeah, post-apocalyptic. Pretty... Even if they manage to stay alive, like to what end? 
Yeah, it's pretty bleak, um, and which is definitely, I, I think, another. I'll, I'll just gonna keep jumping back to like that's a tie that it has with Nevada. The Matrix, you know, presents you a reality in which recognizing the real world means recognizing something extremely bleak, literally like a post-apocalyptic hellscape where people are used as batteries and slime pods. Goo um, pods. Goo pods. Also viscerally nasty. Really good. CGI and practical effects in those. Yeah, and those but those anyway. pods actually had the strongest like ef- effects of the movie. I also learned that uh, they had to make adjustments to the pods because a somebody who on the production team who like tested out the pods got like hypothermia Ooh. from being in there. They were really very very cold originally. Anyway, like Nevada um, from the real world perspective is also very much about like what it means to come out as a trans person and what is on the other side of that there's a lot that like does not get better to you know play on the old catchphrase like there's a lot that you have to deal with post-transition and it's it's a pretty raw deal and nevada goes into a lot of the ways that like there's a lot of stuff that you know on the other side of coming out is is pretty great but also there's just a kind of a lot of garbage that you then have to deal with. And that garbage is just your life now mm-hmm. and is never probably going to go away completely. Um, and if it does, it's going to take a long time. And the choice to see that as still important and, and still worth living and still worth dealing with and all of the coping mechanisms that have gotten you to that point and all the stuff that you have to deal with at that point is a, is a major part of the book. One of the articles I read from the Daily Dot about it had a really neat quote that was like, I think one of the points of Nevada is that your behaviors pre-transition will inform your post-transition life. You won't be a new person. Your traumas will come with you. The ways you coped with dysphoria will persist and just trying to unpack everything in the middle of living your life can seriously distract you from your life. And in Nevada, the main character Maria is, is basically like she's five years into her transition but she is going through this period of just like crisis of like circling around and around over the same things. And when we meet Neo in the beginning of the Matrix, he's kind of doing that same thing pre coming out. He is uh, searching. He, he's spending like all of his time online obsessed with this, you know, concept of the Matrix and trying to figure out what it is and trying to find Morpheus and trying to find Trinity who are you know, spoiler alert, it's metaphors for other trans people that you meet on the internet who are cool and already out and who you want to be like. Um, And he is realizing like just how big of a deal it is going to be if he kind of breaks through this mental barrier. I think you can read the, the opening scene in his office building where Morpheus tries to, you know, help and break him out of the Matrix and tells him basically like you have to climb out a window that is 30 feet up and climb to a roof and do this thing that is It was more than 30 feet up, yeah, son. Sorry, 30 (laughs) stories. Just two and a half stories. (laughs) Listen, Neo, this is going to be real tough. (laughs) It's 
<laughs> You're a big kid and you can handle it, but it is pretty far off the ground. You might twist an ankle. I mean, you could really hurt yourself 30 feet up. However, it was not the visceral horror of like, also the set that they built on the exterior of that building or whatever they used. Like there's a part that he grabs to hold on to while he's trying to get his footing on the ledge and it like moves. Uh, I learned. Uh, I learned a lot from Matrix oh. trivia when, when researching this. That was real. Oh, shit. And and uh, Keanu Reeves did that without a stunt double, and it was actually thirty stories up. Jesus, yeah, t- fucking terrifying. Hey, hey, is this a good time to mention that Keanu Reeves you will not be dissed in this house, and that I will hear no no yes, dissings in him? this house? We we respect and in love. this house we respect Keanu. He's a good, nice person, and he can act. God damn it! Look, I'm not saying he has the best or broadest range of all things. I'm not saying. That he's meant for every role or that he hasn't had some duds. I'm just saying, like, the dude does have talent and I'm tired of him being like, a joke. Yeah, I and I, I honestly, like, I, I remember kind of going along with, like, haha, oh, Keanu Reeves doesn't do a good job in this movie the, the first time I watched it. First couple times I watched it, probably. But when I came back to it as an adult, I was actually, he kind of nails it. He nails this character and a very kind of realistic reaction to all this shit that's happening. This scene dramatizes the experience of sort of coming in contact with the idea of your true self and what it's going to take to realize that in a really terrifying way of like, you can do this. It is going to mean doing something that people die doing. Yeah. Pretty literally. And Neo can't do it and goes back inside and gets kind of re-indoctrinated by the agents, who spoilers are a metaphor for the nastiest of cis folks <laughs> <laughs> and the forces, the regulation forces of the gender binary. And there's a scene that this is another one of these scenes that I think is really, really powerful when viewed through a trans lens where Trinity comes to get him after he's kind of gone through this first loop of not being able to do it and not getting there and she's going to bring him to Morpheus and before they do that he they have to like shock the tracker bug out of his belly button um, and he's like fuck no I'm going to get out of the car then you're pointing a gun at me Trinity like stops him and says I know you've been down this road before and I know you know where it ends and I know that's not where you want to be and that scene gave me such chills when I was rewatching it because it's so, it was viscerally like, oh my God, yes, I've been there. And probably every trans person who has come out in this world has been there of that loop that you get into. That loop of like, can I, am I going to, am I really going to do this? And, and turning back over and over again until you finally don't turn back from that. You can imagine Neo, like, we don't know how many times he's gone through this cycle. We don't know how many times he's been close to deciding that to take the plunge. Then, like, when he does actually take that plunge, like, the real world kind of fucking sucks. I mean, he wakes up <laughs> in a goo pod with plugs all over him and learns that he's been a battery. Which did happen to me when I came out as trans. <laughs> and it was really... The next morning, you were very confused. <laughs> I was like damn, this sucks more than I expected, actually. I was kind of anticipating problems with, like, names and pronouns and stuff, but I I wish I weren't in this goo pod. This goo pod of nutrient slurry from the corpses of my fellow humans. Yeah, that part was really gross. Yeah. <laughs> I learned that I'd been only eating the melted-down bodies of the elders for a long time, and uh, that took me a while to get over that. Yeah. In many ways, I relate to Neo. But yeah, so, so I think <laughs> Nevada and... <laughs> the Matrix will touch on this like the real world is kind of a raw deal in both stories like the, the characters spend a lot of time grappling with like well what do we do with this yeah. is this worth it 
And in in Nevada, I think that's that's where the book takes a, is a little more viscerally dark than watching The Matrix because it is about a person deciding sort of whether or not it, it's not there's not like that much focus on like suicidal ideation although it is explicitly stated more than once in the book but like it gets into that like on on even on a softer level and not like necessarily suicidal level of like choosing whether you are going to continue maintaining yourself as a person yeah. because one of the things one of the like recurring things in Nevada is like she's forgetting to take her estrogen shot over and over and over again and it's the most anxiety inducing <laughs> section of this book where she's just like ah oh, fuck haven't done my shot in a while I should do that oh god I forgot again oh no I went to bed instead of doing that for like days and days on end and not caring for herself physically and drinking too much and doing a lot of drugs and 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 just sort of in general not doing the things that she needs to do to care for herself. Both of those stories get into that a lot. Uh, one of the more upsetting things that I read while researching this film, and again, like, content warnings at the top for this, is that the, I think Lana, one of the Wachowski siblings, did talk explicitly at one point after coming out that she almost committed suicide at one point by throwing herself in front of a train. In The Matrix, the like one of the climactic scenes of the film is Agent Smith, who is an agent of the binary and of this world, holding Neo in front of an oncoming train and telling him that it is inevitable that he will die this way. Um, Yike. Yeah, I read that and was like, oh, holy fuck. That is, of course, also the moment where Neo grabs Agent Smith and throws him away and tells him to stop calling him by his dead name. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it, it's pretty remarkable to see that scene through this lens. I think that's one of the cool, like, because this film is not explicitly a trans movie and certainly was not, like, pitched to producers and whatnot at the time, you get these scenes that are so cool and so powerful and resonant because they were able to make them this way. You would have a pretty hard time pitching, like, trans power movie <laughs> where <laughs> out recently out trans person, like, smashes shitty man in a suit <laughs> into a wall and tells him to stop calling him by his dead name. <laughs> but yeah, uh, I, I thought that was just fascinating. The, the other, I might as well get all of the, like, particularly sad, upsetting trans stuff out of the way in this middle section of the episode. I also found out that uh, the character of Switch who is the kind of androgynous woman in the white suit, who's also one of the people in the real world, was originally explicitly written as a trans character, huh. even in the the like pitch to Warner Brothers and stuff. Um, Switch was supposed to be played by two different actors, one in the real world and one in the Matrix. And in the Matrix, um, she can't be herself, and in the real world, she is. If you are up on up to date on your The Matrix, uh, Switch is killed while in the real world. And... While they were not, they they were forced to not write Switch as a trans character, and they cast like the same actress for both the real world and Matrix versions. They kept the same dialogue, and so Switch dying in the Matrix and saying "not like this, not like this" takes on this just absolute wretched gut punch. Yeah, see, I didn't know that. This is why sometimes the author can't be dead. This mm -hmm. is why sometimes you need that context because that was a studio choice. Yeah. And like that makes that character so much more powerful and that moment so much more horrible. Yeah. I've always found that character really interesting and knowing that that character was supposed to be like the the very very specific clear link. I mean, Switch is literally a, a trans person no matter what version you're looking at, so 
yeah, I'm just kind of blown away um, at how much comes through in the Matrix, knowing that there was that level of meddling even with like a minor character who was supposed to be like explicitly trans. And it makes me uh, really glad that we did ultimately get the chance to look at the Matrix through this lens. Mm-hmm. And that, that the Wachowskis have come out since and been able to make very like explicitly queer media. That makes me really glad. Yeah. Also, I will have cut the earlier mention out, but I can't believe you haven't seen Sense8. Like, I literally can't believe I it. I know. It's really good. <laughs> I have some, there's some problems with it. Like, it's not perfect and i'm not asking it to be perfect you know i think i think with some content warnings you would have a good time yeah i agree i know i'm a bad trans for having not (laughs) watched that show you can't check that one off the list i can't check that one off the list it's fine after we're we're a little bit more through killing evil watch some sensei hell yes the other thing that i think is a really cool sort of link between these two works is that the matrix is very explicitly about kind of fate and heroism and all that like neo is foretold by an oracle to be the one etc etc and so there's a lot of mythology and you know some like christ symbolism and just general sort of like chosen one symbolism wrapped around neo it's it's entirely about like neo struggling to become this person that he is you know, foretold to be. Nevada also talks a lot about the sort of self-mythologizing and sort of narrative work that trans folks have to do around themselves. And the thing I think is really interesting about The Matrix is that it's not Neo doing it. Neo is actually sitting there like, I'm not, I'm not the one. I'm not important. I'm just the guy. There's nothing special about me. And and looking at, at Morpheus and Trinity and being like, these are the cool special people. While Trinity and, and Morpheus are standing there like, you are the chosen one. Please accept your destiny. <laughs> like You're going to save us all. You're our special guy. In contrast to that, Nevada is largely about Maria coming to terms with the mythology that she has built up around herself, which I think in some ways is more true to a lot of the trans folks I know and the coping mechanisms that they have built. Because in the book, she, she talks about the fact that as a trans person, you have to kind of blunt force your way through to insisting that you are who you say you are. And you have to pretend for the sake of therapists and doctors and people who are accepting your legal documents and just the world at large. Like, I know exactly who I am. I've always known since I was zero years old. Um, I've had a perfectly clear picture. This is, you know, biologically faded. I 100% am this person that really fucks with your ability to grow as a human being (laughs) because uh, you know admitting to any sort of uncertainty about who you are any need to further develop or maybe that you were wrong about something critical to yourself that becomes very very fraught and very dangerous i think self-mythologizing is sort of a cool way of putting it because it sounds so much grander than just like being up your own ass but (laughs) i think that that's something that a lot of trans folks struggle with is like if you have to fight so hard to establish like who is me and and this is something i'm paraphrasing basically nevada because i don't i can't find the page that this quote is on but that when you have to fight so hard to say like this is who i am it makes it very, very difficult for you to inhabit any other space. It, it makes it hard to be a learner. It makes it hard to grow. It just makes it really hard to shake off old patterns of behavior and old coping mechanisms that are no longer useful to you. And it's kind of poison to, to developing as a person and being able to be vulnerable 
and honest. So I think there's sort of two sides to it. And I and I do think also the Matrix kind of embodies like trans elders and trans peers like cheerleading each other a little bit and pushing you towards like, no, you you are this person and you're the best and most beautiful version of yourself. You know, you, you can be like this. You do have permission. Like you, you are the best and the brightest and you are exactly who you want to be. But I think Nevada has the more realistic side of that where you you have to tell yourself as a trans person who you are and then you also have to deal with like did i get get did i get all that right did i maybe go too far in deciding that i had all the answers for myself is there still work that i need to do probably yes probably 100% yes one of the other really resonant pieces of the the film and the book both is that it they both you know sort of explore characters who are not ready to embrace that aspect of themselves yet nevada mild spoilers for Nevada, I guess, Um, about two thirds of the way through the book switches perspectives from Maria to James to James, who is probably trans. The, The book sort of leaves this ambiguous, but is somebody who is kind of following like the same trajectory that Maria was on but many years earlier um, and has not come out and is not ready to come out and is wrestling with with who he is and what he's going to do with his life. I'm using he, him pronouns because that is what the book uses and the book sort of leaves it ambiguous as to what that character would choose um, maybe later in life. But it's a really interesting sequence because it deals very frankly with what someone goes through when they are not ready to come out and the types of self-denials and the types of sort of patterns of logic. And I think you you see the constant cycles and struggles of, of self-denial that, that Neo goes through, even though in Neo's case, he is denying that he is like the savior of all mankind, which is reasonable. You see that reflected back. And then, of course, the whole beginning of the film, which is in this weird sort of fake world, but that is also very nice and very comfortable um, and much more pleasant to inhabit than the shitty shitty real world where all the robots are trying to kill you all the time the vox has a really neat article about about the matrix that was written for the 20th anniversary that discusses how that weaves really neatly into into trans experiences and that i'll quote here they're referring to that there's a term in trans discourse egg, which refers to somebody who has not come out yet. And they wrote, when you're an egg, you're safely closed off by your shell, unable to see the wider world. It's like being in a sensory deprivation tank. Everything is muffled and the world is hazy and translucent through the walls. There's always some barrier between you and reality. Being inside the egg is comfortable and leaving the egg is a lot of work, a lot of painful grinding work that many people would rather avoid. Eggs hatch though. That process of like that painful grinding work is a big part of what the end of Nevada is about, and it's also what the beginning of The Matrix yeah. is about. And I mean, the slime pod. And the slime pod is, is a pretty literal... It's, it's, it's not egg-shaped quite, but it's close. It's it's pretty close. And I do, uh, it, like, in retrospect, really appreciate the way that The Matrix is shot. It's so weird. Like, the beginning of the film, it really has the quality of, like, a waking nightmare. Yeah. Where nothing feels quite real and you have that sense of i'm living like people are living in this space but there's something just off about it like time jumps in kind of strange ways it's it's kind of dissociative yeah like you're you're in neo's pov but you'll see him like through a security camera and he's like 
half awake at his day job, he's late for work, he's spending all this time online, and he he like doesn't seem to quite fit in his clothes and his apartment is kind of weird and then stuff happens in these kind of strange jerks of time that like it just sort of jumps forward and you're not quite sure what's real and then when you do jump into the real world it's this much more like stark very sort of pieced together cobbled together place but it's also the place where all these like very genuine very heartfelt moments happen ugh I'm so appreciative of The Matrix so much more now than ever before. (laughs) I would say I first heard any sort of rumbling about The Matrix as a trans metaphor like 10 years ago. That doesn't mean that it it was clearly around before then, but that was the first time I heard it. And I went, oh, yeah, like, yeah, of course. Once both of the Wachowskis came out and I was like... (gasps) This is the most obvious metaphor in the history of time. You know, time. both of us have been saying Wachowski, Wachowski different this entire time. Yeah. Do we both not know or am I um, wrong? We both might not know. I'm going to go Google this or YouTube it. <laughs> we can just present a lot of options and people can choose their favorite. I think it's Wachowski. Wachowski. Does have that, does have that CH yeah. in there. I've heard it like seven different ways. So you know what? My brain just picked the one it liked the best. It's Wachowski. Well, let's, let's roll on. <laughs> <laughs> Something I haven't really touched on yet, but that I think is rare and maybe obvious, but also really important is the fact that these are both stories that really, really, truly, genuinely center trans POVs, especially trans POVs on what society can look like from a trans perspective. Society as, you know, a series of pitfalls and in some cases dystopian hellscapes for you to navigate and filled with dangers and maybe like robots that want to kill you and stuff less of that in nevada more of that in the matrix it does a really good job of like these aren't just stories that feature trans people they are stories that really deeply like reflect trans internal life um, and internal selves the stuff that people grapple with i think that's why like nevada fucking blew my mind open the first time I read it. Um, I read it the first time a couple years ago. It is in many ways like kind of a rambling, you know, it's a stream of consciousness book. And it's so rare and so satisfying to be inside that perspective for an entire book. Uh, An entire book of just a trans person navel gazing. Hell yes. (laughs) (laughs) Like... When do we ever get to just sit there and like stew and like, uh, what's it like to be trans? Here's all the things it's kind of like, ugh. and then I have to go to the bank and be trans there. And then I have to go to work and be trans there. And then I have to go home and be trans there. And then I have to lie awake at night thinking about being trans. <laughs> and that's so satisfying. And it, I really enjoy going back to the matrix and reading it as like, this commentary on society because there's so much about the framing of the matrix as like the matrix doesn't represent like cis people right it represents the way that the world is set up people need to be freed from it it's a dramatization that clearly makes the binary something that is very very harmful i I really liked this quote from a um an article on medium about it which i'll also link in the the notes below that it's no accident that the matrix was created by machines because it's artificial and a construct and all the humans living in the matrix are real biological beings trapped into thinking of gender in its most simplistic terms, not recognizing trans people and not recognizing gender beyond the binary. Trans people break free from this system, which is represented by our heroes being unplugged from the matrix itself. 
And I really, really love that framing of like, it makes it clear not only that this is a very hostile and dangerous system, but also that it is essentially wrong. It's essentially a lie. And the goal is ultimately to free people from that lie and to allow everyone to be sort of real whole biological beings that are not constrained by this this prison of the mind that has been laid on top of it. And I mean, it's also not to say that, like, they have fished out every single trans person from the Matrix, you know, following this this analogy. I mean, hopefully not, because if so, there's like six of them and most of them <laughs> I die. Know. Well, we, we don't see their... <laughs> well, that's right. We don't consider the sequels canon, so we don't see their city. Yeah, I know that's fair, though. Zion, they, they do talk about Zion. They do, which there. is kind of a weird choice. I feel like maybe they were going to show Zion, but then they cut it because of budgetary reasons, and then it went in the sequel. Yeah. Also, what a name, huh? <laughs> There's mm. there's a lot there's a lot of interesting mythos going on that I haven't even really gotten into in this episode because I'm I just want to talk about trans stuff because I'm trans and all I think about is trans. But if you I, I highly encourage folks to look into like the the mythology behind the Matrix because it's a very very smart film and the Wachowski spent a lot of time developing the concept and there's all kinds of uh, philosophical and religious and scholarly background to the film. Apparently they made, I'm gonna fuck up the name of it, they made like the entire main cast and and crew read um, Simulcra and Simulation. Oh yeah, you told me (laughs) about that. (laughs) And like understand it. Yeah, they got pop quizzed on that shit. So it's, it's heavily based on like philosophical texts and and it's it's down to the details. The reason I thought about this is because I'm going to go ahead and pull up the trivia on this because I'm not a smart analytical person and I'll get it wrong. The ship that they fly in, the Nebuchadnezzar, is specifically, it's obviously pulled from King Nebuchadnezzar um, in the Bible, but one of the ver- passages about Nebuchadnezzar references him having a dream that he cannot remember but keeps searching for the answer of. This shit... <laughs> Is like, there's so much stuff about that, like in the Matrix. It is down to down to the details. So, yeah, we're saying that, but we're also not telling everybody that the Matrix code. This is fair. Is a fucking sushi also, menu. Okay, okay. I haven't been able to find any independent verification of that. I did just read that on some website, but also I think it is fair to call out that like the Matrix code is made up of. Numbers and letters, and also kind of inexplicably, inexplicably katakana, yeah. which is one of the Japanese alphabets. And according to a thing I read on the internet, it's like sushi recipes, which is questionable. I mean, even if the, even if it's not actually sushi recipes, I still think it's funny that the code is like lines of just katakana and kind of nonsense. Yeah. I was like, all right, you fucking... I mean, I realized they, they would have had to in, invented, like, a whole new sim- system of pictograms or something. Like, I get it. You used what you had, so you didn't have to make a whole new fucking, like, code language or whatever, but Katakana, really? I think it may also be because The Matrix was influenced by, like, Ghost in the Shell. Oh, yeah, that's right. It um, would have been. And other anime, so it may have been God. a nod to that. There's a lot going on, and and it, I just loved, like, going through the 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 trivia page for this this movie on imdb is kind of a treat i'll link that in the notes too why not because there's so much shit that the movie is a modern adaptation of plato's allegory of the cave okay (laughs) i mean it is it is sure the the inscription uh know thyself in the kitchen of the oracle was the inscription above the entrance of the oracle at delphi okay 
if you know anything about, for example, the Oracle Oracle at Delphi, like that was such an obvious like moment. It was such a cute wink. But like, if you didn't know that, did you just think, oh, these profound words they just decided to put up there? Yes. Also, in the German version of the film, Tasty Wheat is replaced with Sex Krispies. Oh, I love Sex Krispies. That's good to I know. I love that. I love trivia. I've spent so much time on IMDb trivia pages, which, by the way, some of that shit is not true. Um, they don't source it very well. I'm sure. Uh, but uh, <laughs> I still enjoy it. And I often wonder, like, I tend to, as a person, collect a lot of trivia. So I have random movie trivia in my head frequently or TV trivia. And I, like, go to look at something I like that has trivia in it that I know and it's not on the IMDb and I'm like how do I do this but I don't care enough to in an alternate universe Amanda is up on IMDb (laughs) fixing their trivia pages I'm also doing that on Wikipedia in an alternate universe but not this one I don't have enough time there's not enough time Mm -mm. in the day now that I've devolved into just sort of like random fun trivia I think I'm probably hitting the end of my matrix rope. But um, I did want to say one of the especially cool things about Nevada, I think you can probably find the matrix, however you find the matrix at this point. Um, Nevada is actually free to read. It is also available for purchase both in ebook and in print. And if you do have the means, I definitely recommend picking up in print because it's a very, very beautiful book. And also Imogen Binney is an amazing writer and you should support her. But um, it is also uh, available for free. And I will link to that in the notes. Yeah, you can go to haveyoureadnevada.club That's so um, cute. to find copies of Nevada. That's actually referenced in one of the articles I linked. That's how I, I found it. Yeah, which is something really awesome. I, I very, very highly recommend that book. I have very, very few caveats aside from like content warnings. And I think it makes a comment about non-binary people. It's kind of shitty at some point in there. But it is also in the context of like people having people questioning things on internet forums. Yeah. Uh, so that helps contextualize it a little bit. And like the, the entire book is from the perspective of someone who's having like kind of a panic spiral about their entire life and is very much a flawed person like coming to grips with that and all their coping, coping re- mechanisms. So I don't expect them to have pristine opinions yeah. necessarily. Still, it's a, it's a useful much note. like Much like the characters in the L word. <laughs> <laughs> why haven't assholes. we done a queerest folk why haven't macy and i done a queerest folk recap podcast holy fuck you just had such a good idea it makes me really glad that in 2019 we can go back to the matrix and know that it is a trans movie but it also makes me very glad that we have stories like nevada that are a little more explicitly about trans experiences because as we saw with the matrix uh it's just ambiguous enough that the main groups of people who can relate to it are trans people and reddit assholes who think that somehow the matrix is a metaphor for like waking up from what the sjw's want you to think and realizing the truth that men are oppressed by women and white people are oppressed by people of color which is the weirdest take to take away from the I matrix know. i'm just like you just i don't even think they saw it or if they did they were in some sort of fucking gross fugue state they're like yes this affirms yeah. everything i thought about systems it's wild of power. because like the only identity they they could conceivably grasp on is like neo's hacker dude aesthetic he also becomes like op as fuck yeah and like the the fact that he becomes sort of a savior figure but like he does so well explicitly like deeply valuing the lives of the people around him who are primarily a black man and a woman that he is in love with he his whole thing is that like he cares very very deeply about those people only comes the one because he wants to 
to protect them, protect other people. You're giving you're giving idiots a lot of credit for paying any attention to things that weren't kung fu. <laughs> I know. Kung fu and goo pods. Take the red pill. Take the red pill and then you become a tough guy who knows kung fu and you shoot a lot of people with guns. So if if in the if in this red pill world, this like Reddit MRA white supremacist fucking alt right shitty world who uh who's who's agent smith is agent smith like hillary yeah, clinton like what's going on yeah <laughs> <laughs> that is the point where it really breaks down is like when you look who, who the villains are it's like white men like, in suits yeah exactly and well and i, I and feel like, like reddit bros internalize that as like oh it's the man telling me i have to do a He's job telling me i have to pay my taxes shower yeah the agent smith is big government or something oh. nine rand was right about everything <laughs> <laughs> like that that seems to be where they think it's going but it's so explicitly not and if you actually watch the movie with like a modicum of reading comprehension it's like very clearly not that just gonna, i need to do some research on other movies that have been so wildly taken from their origins and intention and twisted because i can think it's on the tip of my tongue but i know of at least one other film that was like no 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 no. you guys misread this or like there'll be an anti-hero and they're like it's a hero yeah fucking right you're oh that's the sort of walter white syndrome which is like you weren't mm. watching this you just weren't watching it like you were just sort of I don't know, shoving it into your mouth and rejecting the parts that you didn't like. Yeah. All the nuance. It's very interesting and narrow-minded, especially because like I I think there could be a, a level on which you could if you if you were a Reddit bro with again like a modicum of reading comprehension, you could take this as an opportunity to like have empathy, mm-hmm. understand your connection to other people's experiences and be like, "Oh wow, this is a fucked up binary system that hurts everyone." Maybe me and trans people could step outside of it together and recognize the harm that it is doing and all be free and all be cool leather punks maybe even if i don't like a sexy virtual world take that red pill and swallow all the goo and like i guess maybe i can just not shit on other people constantly just constantly yeah i i liked what you said you we were talking about this before the episode and you were like these people don't realize that they're like they're like i took the red pill but in actuality they just like crammed a lot of blue pills down their throat we're like i'm yeah they went straight back to sleep and we're like i love the matrix (laughs) at best bro your cypher who is like i've woken up to the reality of oppression and i've decided that i don't want to deal with it i'm gonna hurt a bunch of people who are trying to do something about it and then go back to sleep and be powerful with my false power because it's false power like you're inside the matrix no matter how good your fucking simulation is going no matter how much fake money you have no matter how many like hot girls you're banging in the matrix it's fake it's fake currency it's based on a trash binary system that is inherently untrue and written to like give you advantages you don't deserve and haven't earned over other people and you've decided that you prefer that and your cipher, my yeah. dude. Congrats. congrats, your cipher. We they couldn't have made it any clearer that you are cipher. You are not Neo. Neo would punch you to death. <laughs> Neo would punch you so hard. And I think that's that's the note I would like to end on. <laughs> Everyone should read Nevada. And if you are an MRA, Neo would punch you so hard that yep, you died. That's very true. So anyway, if you'd like to continue the discussion uh, with us. You can find us on Twitter, unless you're an MRI, in which case, don't, don't at me. me. We are at uh, Red Pen Pod, and I am at Austin Chanted. 
I'm at Amanda H. Jean. And that's our show. And also, as always, um, if you like the show and you would like to toss us a couple bucks to keep it going, uh, we have a Patreon, which is always linked in the show notes. And it really helps us out if you can uh, pledge a few dollars a month. And at certain tiers, like at any tier, you get fun bloopers and extra bits. And uh, at slightly higher levels, you can uh, request us to record content just for you about anything you would like. And it, it really helps us out if you can. And that's our show. Yeah, thank so, you so much. Thanks for joining us. And as always, if you love something, cut it up. Get a, get, no, what you need to do is get a floppy disk inserted and then you download the program called cutitup.exe <laughs> and then it installs and then you can cut things up. I know how to cut stuff up. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Keanu. <laughs>